0: Hi, I'm Stella O'Malley, a psychotherapist in Ireland.
1: And I'm Sasha Ayad, an adolescent therapist in the United States.
0: Through in-depth interviews, personal stories, and psychological exploration, we probe the gender landscape within contemporary culture.
1: And we consider the implications of prioritizing personal identity over other aspects of the self.
0: This is the thinking person's take on gender.
1: Join us as we look at gender from a wider lens. Howdy, Stella. How are you this afternoon? I'm
0: good. I'm good. Good to be back <laughs> chatting with you.
1: Yes, definitely. Um, yeah. What's going on in the world of Stella these days? Obviously, for our YouTube viewers, you're somewhere different today. <laughs> I am. I am. I'm in
0: a hotel in London, and um, it's always it's always great. I like going away once in a while. I like going home always, but it gives me a new yeah. it gives me a perspective. Of my life, once I get away, I kind of yeah. I, I kind of get a snapshot of where I'm going at home. It's very good for me mentally, so I'm away. But I'm away working, giving a talk and stuff. But it's it's a big. Uh, I think a lot of things are happening as always in gender mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much in gender world. My book will be released soon. Um, That's your, so
1: exciting. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. What your teen is trying to tell you. So it's, it's I I is. I'm very excited by it, I put my heart and soul into this book. it's been a hard it's been a hard book to write because there's so much to say about teenagers and the idea is to kind of help parents not like immediately turn to therapists, even though therapy can be very helpful, but to see if you can empower yourself by leaning in, learning a few things that might be just it's like being on a railroad track and you're a little bit off and you get further and further and if you can tweak it tweak it back with a couple of little things it can make a difference yeah and so that's but we'll talk about that again in the future I guess yeah
1: okay all right yeah I just I just think it's great because that's so aligned with a message we're often sharing on this podcast and through our individual work that like you know we want to put the the kind of power back in the hands of parents so that they can You know, nobody's going to love your kid as much as you do. So if you can feel a little more confident parenting them, that makes a huge world of a difference, I think. And
0: I think parents, we got disempowered. I as a parent know, that's what compelled me to write my first book. We got totally disempowered and it has continued on until teenage years that we presume other people know what to do with our young distressed kid more than we do. It's it's extraordinary yeah. the 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 push. As soon as your kid is upset, people say, "Are you going to get help?" And it's like, maybe mm. that's not the right thing. You know, maybe the kid yeah. needs more of you, um, you, your flawed yeah. person, because we're all flawed. You know what I mean? It's 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 a kind of a fighting yeah. thing. And on that subject, when you give your power away, Detrans Awareness Day is coming up. Big big day, yeah. uh, the twelfth yeah. the twelfth of March and it's you know it's such a it's, it's a self-organized day the detransitioners i think they first organized it in 2021 and it's a mm-hmm. d, it's a hashtag all day there's a there's a website um, dtransawareness.org so that they're kind of oh, they're self-organizing which is great it's great to see the detransitioners self-organizing and there's going to be loads of events and you know Gen Spectre's um supporting as much as they can, all the DTrans Awareness Day events. It's really important to support them, I think, and make sure that people realize that, you know, something has happened to these people and they need to be recognized. We did, JetSpec yeah. did a brilliant webinar last year, 2022, for oh, yeah. DTrans Awareness Day, and we got loads of people on and they were amazing. And it was really yeah. difficult to know, like, uh, I had a power cut in the middle of it. And- it was chaotic, but it was really really, good. it was really, really
1: good. Wait, a power cut? What yeah. do you mean? Oh, like your power went out? Yeah. I do remember that. I was yeah. like, you know that Bohemian Rhapsody video? I was a little <laughs> pale. <pale-haired. laughs> it was. It was dramatic for sure. It was. Yeah, I, I do remember Sinead that. Sinead
0: Watson was very good because she seamlessly took over, and she was very good, very, very yeah. good. But yeah, so I think the detransitioners are rising, they're self-organizing, they're coming together, and I I think that's really amazing.
1: And I mean, if somebody has never really heard of what that means before, Mm. I mean, most people who listen to our show are familiar with this concept, but we may be getting some new listeners. And for those who aren't aware, detransitioners are individuals who, you know, for some time identified as transgender and took some kind of medical steps in that, transition process, whether that's cross sex hormones, or in some cases, surgeries. And then for a variety of very complicated reasons, many detransitioners have come to believe that that was a real mistake, or that they feel they were harmed by the quick way that the medical system kind of pushed them through towards transition. And their stories are really interesting and harrowing. And they're, they're, you know, an example of what happens when, a mental health and medical establishment kind of works from an assumption backwards like the assumption is transition is really really helpful for those who want it and there could never be a possible reason why somebody would want this but actually it's not going to benefit them and so when providers are really affirming that sounds great on the surface because you're giving the patient what they want you're helping them meet their own goals But there's a lack of kind of caution and assessment and slowing down. And a lot of detransition stories really exemplify that. Just kind of the quick pace by which all the professionals they met just pushed them along. Yes, 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 I agree with you. Yes, let's get you these hormones. And of course, the, the ramifications both socially, medically, physically for their health are huge. And it's a very complicated process trying to make sense of that experience. And so this Detrans Awareness Day is a chance for individuals who have been through this kind of thing, to talk about their experiences and bring more awareness to the subject, because it's growing. And we see people coming to this realization and having this experience in pretty large numbers, considering how Typically, you know, activists and advocates say detransition is incredibly rare. It's like 1% of people, but actually that's not true at all. And as transition procedures have become more readily available in the last 10, 15 years, so have the detransition numbers. So that's what Detransition Awareness Day is. And if you're kind of new to this whole gender world, we would really encourage you to just take part, go watch some of these individuals tell their stories so that you can understand kind of the human perspective behind this very heated and controversial topic
0: yeah i'm glad you brought up the the definition because you know the way that Mm. trans has become this blurred nebulous term that nobody really knows what it is yeah we we all well all of us nerds who are who are very absorbed in gender (laughs) noticed that the standards of care in in they 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 obfuscated the meaning of detransition and made it less clear-cut well We had established detransition was a very just like you outlined. It was a very specific process. And it's like it's been reclaimed to be part of the gender journey and part of, uh, you know, almost open to people move in and move out of detransition and all sorts of phrases. And then there's the phrase, you know, there's different phrases coming in. And it's just something I'd like. We need public awareness around what is an accepted term for trans, which is, I would argue, medical transition. What is an accepted term for detrans? It's, you know, reverting back after medical transition and maybe desistance is, you know, reverting back to your your biological identity, never having taken medication in the first place. Mm, So mm, that people are clear mm. because it's very hard to feel knowledgeable and have an opinion on something when you're not quite sure what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, and, completely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, yeah. And to bring us seamlessly
0: into today's <laughs> su- subject, you could argue that, like you know, the the trans Awareness Day, the the kind of the rush to medicalize identities, the pathologizing of of normal distress into quick fixes and give us the medication always looking for the external solution for an internal problem you could argue that that is really where we land with this with this kind of the pathologizing of normal and the kind of the the, the lure of identities that has swept over people since we've taken away other identities such as religion and national identity other identities Mm -hmm. have come into place and it's extraordinary Mm. really
1: Yeah, and it's interesting too, and I was thinking about this topic, just like how diagnostic labels have become a source of identity as well. So it's interesting because this, of course, relates to gender. It relates so much to the stories of quick transition and subsequent detransition. It, of course, relates to people who choose to kind of continue on with transition and have a gender identity. But, But it also relates to so many other things too, like as a you know as a culture at least you know Western culture, we went from a place where mental health issues were never talked about. They were really dismissed, yeah. and they were treated as something you sweep under the rug and you you don 't talk about these things to a place now where it 's so ubiquitous to talk about mental health and it 's luckily been depathologized, but in a way there's there's a way that it has become like a positive sense of identity for people, like a way that people make meaning of who they are as a person, which probably has some trade-offs in it as well. It's like you either stigmatize the mental health condition or you turn it into a, like a source of pride and identity. And I can imagine that in both of those scenarios, there are negative consequences. Right. So it's just it's an interesting pendulum swing that I think has happened.
0: Well, and that's what it is. It's a pendulum swing. And, you know, that phrase too far east is west. Like we've, we've yes. swung too far. Like, you know, having a taboo didn't work. And then having it as an identity doesn't work either. And th- yeah. that is that is the problem. I think for me, it is people are searching for an identity and if we're shaped by what's going on in the in the zeitgeist in the cultural context, and it seems it feels like mental health is going on in the cultural context. That's what's going on. Yeah. But it's quite a shallow. It feels like quite a shallow understanding. I remember one client telling me, you know, we have a big kind of. To walk every year it's a great walk it's for for suicide and it's it's in ireland it's a, it's a great walk that everybody does the whole the whole of the kind of country kind of gets together and they walk from darkness into the light so they walk into the darkness wow. into the dawn it's a lovely idea mm-hmm. but i remember mm-hmm. at this girl who i knew and she said like you know they were all being so awful to her around her mental health and then she said but they're all out there swinging their banners darkness into light and we know this concept very well in other contexts. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lip service given to mental health. Think positive. Um, this is my identity. This is my, 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 um, my mental health kind of diagnosis. And it doesn't feel very deep. And it feels like we're, we're doing everybody an injustice. I, I don't think it's working. I don't think it's working, even mm. though I think it's fundamentally unhealthy to base your identity upon your mental health diagnosis. I also think it's not a very good understanding of mental health diagnosis that we're we're kind of putting out there. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like it's good.
1: When you think about that though, are there specific examples that are coming to your mind? Like what what's um yeah. What's on your mind when you say we're simplifying it or it's watered yeah, down? Okay, what okay. do you th- yeah. What do you mean? Good point. I think when people say "Oh, my OCD
0: brain," "Oh, my autistic mm. brain," and they don't mean their OCD brain; they're talking about they're, they're neat and tidy, or their autistic brain because they're, they're like being o- or organized. Mm. It has become such a concept creep that everything is mm. is a mental health. So it's anxiety mm. rather than I'm worried. It's OCD mm. rather mm. than I like things tidy. It's it's mm-hmm, do, do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And um, yes. it's it's really really detrimental to our mental health. It's really detrimental that we've normalized this that everything is pathological, and mm. children are growing up in this world, so that they they don't have a little worry; they have anxiety, and then I suppose some people who've been diagnosed. Feel very annoyed about that, but also you think the diagnoses aren't infallible, and the the vibe from people is you'd swear it was an actual blood test. The way people go on about, it. I have an actual mm. diagnosis, and it's like, well, the diagnosis depends on on the practitioner, frankly.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So you're talking about the way colloquially, uh, colloquially yeah. people use like, "Oh, I'm so OCD," which I'm sure I've done this before oh, too. I, even do. Though I'm a I do. Professional, but yeah, you're talking about the coll- colloquial uses yeah. of these terms. And then on the other side of that, how like even if you have a legitimate diagnosis from a psychiatrist, yeah. that doesn't actually tell us that much.
0: It it's not God talking. And uh, yeah. doctors are as fallible as everybody else and psychiatrists are mm. as fallible and the diagnosis isn't necessarily gold-plated. And I I, yeah. I, I yeah. have been shocked since I've been working as a psychotherapist, the deference and respect that is given to a diagnosis. It unnerves yes. it, me. I'm like, whoa. Because yeah. that, that wouldn't be how, when you know what, the criteria is for the diagnosis, you'd feel a lot less deferential about it.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like, people want to have a legitimized way to say like, look, I'm in pain. I have the paperwork yeah. to prove it. You know, like there's something about it there that feels really palpable. And I'm thinking too about like conversations I've had in general in therapy. And I think like, you know, for people who who do feel and this is so hard to talk about because everybody feels different but like if you if you genuinely recognize that like everybody else seems to be swimming along making you know making do in this particular school system or this particular peer group and for me every single step in the road feels like a huge speed bump that i don't know how to get over i think like sometimes having a sense of like community with other people who are similar yeah. in their quirks like it can feel comforting and i think people can feel like i can let my guard down you know i don't have to explain like why i do these odd things cuz everybody here does these odd things like I-, I can understand for sure how that is a sense of relief but i think you know when when i think about the problems associated with this trend of like pathologizing normal I think there's a way that getting overly identified with labels can really hinder us. And it can kind of, you know, become a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you start reading, micro-scrutinizing all of your behavior through the lens of your label, it can prevent you from having expansive options and having flexibility, which everybody needs to have in order to function, yeah, and
0: I don't know what we're going to do about this as a society because you know you and I twenty years ago would have been saying we've got to get this destigmatized we've got to get it out there <laughs> yeah. we would have been saying the exact opposite in many ways and I yeah. feel like it's it's really it's a balance to be tried but it is yeah. a balance and why it it's really unfortunate. That people are feeling that because when somebody, I was only talking to somebody yesterday, and they said a turning point in my life was when I got an on uh, what not an online uh, when I got a diagnosis for autism. It was a turning point. It made me slot everything into place. I understood all those experiences. I kind of got myself for the first time. It was like absolutely pivotal to my understanding of myself. I've heard loads of people say different things around that, variations of that. It can be such a source of relief, such a source of, that's what's going on. Now I get it. So it definitely has a place. The problem is it slid into being... Uh, a criteria just like as all roads lead to gender, but just like gender, it can be anything. It can. It feels yeah. like it can be anything. It feels like these are these these kind of. We have widened our understanding of all of these diagnoses into um, or all these conditions into almost anybody. Not almost anybody, but there's an awful lot of people who can be diagnosed with an awful lot of conditions, and that yeah. is unfortunate.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I'm thinking about like, what would the naysayers say, you know, and a naysayer might say, well, I mean, maybe you guys operate in a world of people who come to therapists. So by definition, you're, you're being exposed to a population who either has a mental health diagnosis or is more likely to identify with a mental health diagnosis, but... You know, even you know somebody like Alan Francis. I don't know if you've heard of him. He was like the chair of the DSM for many years, something like that. And he he now is actually um, writes about and speaks about diagnostic inflation and the warning that actually we're over diagnosing people and. In an interview, he said something like, never believe the extremely high rates of mental disorders routinely reported by epidemiological studies in psychiatry. Usually they label about 25% of the general population as mentally ill in the past year and 50% over a lifetime. So, I mean, 50% of people having a mental illness over a lifetime, that, that almost makes you question... Well, is it even an illness if everyone has it? <laughs> you know, like th- there is something to that number that or, you, you do have to question. What What does that even mean anymore? M- might it be rejecting the
0: fact that life is hard? And so and I think life is actually very hard. And yeah. um, therefore, if you're deeply distressed, m- mental illness needs to be brought into the equation for a reason for why you're Mm. deeply distressed rather than you've just got a whack from life which can be so deeply unfair and so sad and so difficult. And that, if I was to renew the public campaign, that would be where I'd go, which sounds very grim. Life is hard. (laughs) Put it on posters. But do you know what I mean? That I think it's actually much more realistic and much more um, um, informative And when people realise, actually, I remember it was a realisation for me that other people get as distressed as me. And I Mm. thought, oh, I didn't think they did. They wear it differently. So they wear it like some people wear their distress and you wouldn't know they were distressed. And Mm -hmm. now, obviously, as I work as a psychotherapist, I know how distressed people get. And you wouldn't know. And you know that quote, the the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And I know that was from over 100 years ago and stuff. But I I, I think there is something in it. There is an awful lot of pain. And people just keep going. They find their own way. They knock their own little happiness out of life, be it with something smaller or something bigger. And other people tend to think everybody else is finding life easier and yeah. children in particular in this world are thinking if i'm unhappy something is wrong as yeah. opposed to there's a dawning between and i write about this in my in my book what mm. your teen is trying to tell you but there's a dawning realization between the ages of about 10 and 20 of oh my god life is really hard oh yeah the good guy doesn't always win. Oh my god, it's so un unha- it's so unfair. It's really hard. Yeah.
1: That yeah. Yes.
0: needs to be taken right out of mental health and into, yeah, that is life.
1: Mm. No, that's why I think it's it's like so valuable to have a place for these like philosophical and existential questions about life. And to kind of you know, these are essentially spiritual questions, but I don't think it has to be framed in that context. Like, these are questions of living. Like, I remember reading somewhere, there's somebody in psychiatry said, all mental health disorders are either like a biological problem or a problem of living or something along those lines. I can't remember the exact quote. But you're you're so right. This This kind of awakening that happens to us in our adolescent years can send a lot of people into a very dark place. Yeah. And if we if we have kind of um you know the only tool is the hammer which is the diagnostic labels everything is going to look like a nail but actually the suffering and the pain of being an adolescent is really profound and and the realization
0: the realization that your friends are lovely and they're not always perfect and they're going to be flawed and that realization is so shocking especially kids who've been told all these movies and gorgeous literature and gorgeous books about great friendships. Mm. And then they realize they're not that
1: great. Yeah, <laughs> that, That's shocking. Yeah. It's a real uh, betrayal of your sense of like that everything is going to work out perfectly all the time, yeah. you know, and that's hard to realize. And
0: I do think it's no accident that this, this diagnosis kind of era has come in after religion has gone out, so in a lot of ways in the Western world, when a lot of people would have kind of gone to religion between 20, ten and twenty, because it 's like life is hard, and there was a system, the idea was, mm-hmm. yeah you 're going to be confronted with challenges, and in the ever uh, ever after, you will be rewarded. you know the kingdom of of you know heaven will be your reward, and that was a great framework for your average 10, 15-year-old to know. Okay, so hmm. it's really hard. Okay, if you do A, B and C, you'll get into heaven. There's a point to it. If you do D, E and F, you'll go to hell. Okay, right there are the rules. This is the point. <laughs> this is where I've gone. And yet, you know, it caused its own trouble and I'm not religious and I'm not saying that's what we need to bring back. I don't think that. But I do think we took that away and then we left them with mental health it's like the new religion in many ways it's it's the kind of oh so you have to te- get your diagnosis do get to the therapist learn you know learn the strategies <laughs> and mm-hmm. then then get you'll the pills be, Yeah, get the then, pills then you'll be okay and that's just yeah. you know that is the arc of, of the detransitioner kind of going okay i'll do what i'm told i'll, I'll do the framework i'll i'll follow the treatment path and then yeah. what's going to be at the end i'll be happy and no whether it's OCD or mm. or whether it's it's gender dysphoria, no, that's not at the end of the path.
1: Yeah, um, it's the kind of it's it's also the ability to say like, this is overwhelming to me. I don't quite understand to do. There's going to be an authority figure that I can oh, trust yeah. that we have put a lot of faith in whether yeah. it's God a priest the, the therapist the doctor yeah and they will give me answers they will give me my step by step process to take and if i follow that process it will be okay and i mean to be fair there are a lot of there are a lot of conditions especially medical conditions oh, yeah. where that works out very very well and okay. i think you know you talk a lot about the medical model of mental disorder and i think this is where it becomes really slippery because if we treat emotional and psychic distress as a kind of medical condition, then it makes perfect sense to put that faith in the step-by-step medical process. But actually that's not that cannot possibly reflect all the things that are contributing or maybe inevitable about some suffering in life. I mean that's, yeah. that's the medical model and that's where we have. A problem, and, it, and, uh, and the is right, like th- there's always examples where it works, but but not for everyone.
0: Yeah, that's the problem, and that's why we've got a tricky subject here because there it does work. Definitely, people will be annoyed listening to us because they'll be thinking it worked for me. The best thing I ever got was that diagnosis, and the years I didn't have it were really really excruciating. And you're right, listener. Yeah. You are right. And then there's a yes. whole other section of people who have clung onto a diagnosis and it has, it has it has externalized their problem they've given away their power they think it's out there, and they um they presume that the doctor, which frankly might as well be the priest, is going to you know reward them with the happiness and they'd be we'd be better off learning that happiness i it's it's not really a condition that many of us have for a long time it's it comes and it goes you know.
1: Okay, so this raises an interesting question that maybe we can toss around. What are the characteristics... Or ways that a person can interact with a diagnosis in a healthy way. Like when somebody gets a diagnosis, what's the difference between a person who takes that and uses it in a way that supports their life and expands their opportunities versus somebody who gets the diagnosis and it spirals them into a place that is maladaptive. Like what, what do you think? I don't have an answer for this, but like your, the way you framed that really actually made me think, okay, there's a difference because some people's diagnoses help them a lot and for some people it doesn't
0: i remember what comes to mind is i remember a friend of mine her kid got a diagnosis and uh the 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 mental health practitioner said okay this is the diagnosis this is the framework you as the parent you need to read it you need to learn it you need to understand Mm -hmm. it and then you need to put it in a drawer and i thought oh mm. that's kind of interesting she said like put yeah. it in a drawer you've done you, you know don't bring it everywhere with you you know what i mean you get the kind of yeah the concept and it's almost like this is how you work and it's taken me many years to figure out how i work many years to figure out how i work and now i've kind of yeah. come to terms with how i work Oh, no, I can't do this. I yeah. know everybody else likes breakfast. It takes me an hour or two before I can get ready for breakfast. I've made my peace with yeah. it. How I work emotionally. So do you have,
1: like, breakfast deficiency disorder or something? Like, is yeah. that your diagnosis? <laughs> 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 I, yeah. <laughs> I could
0: probably very easily get diagnosed with that. Yeah. No, like, honestly. <laughs> it's not so a real
1: many... diagnosis, by the way, everyone.
0: <laughs> but uh, I, I... There's so many quirks to me to you to all of us do you follow me and like here yeah. i am yes. in, you know i'm 48 and i've come around to all my multitude of quirks and that's how i work and that's how i work and if i don't get enough sleep yeah. and if i don't get you know blah, 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 blah. you know the humans are, are complex and so totally getting a quick framework if i'd got one if there was such a thing as a framework that matched because we don't know what diagnoses are to come because maybe i am A diagnosis that is still yet being conceptualised in a lab somewhere. Do you know what I mean? But but maybe it would be very, very, very helpful. But also what would also be helpful at the same time as your diagnosis is knowing that your uncle was like you and also your granddad was like you. And also mm. actually there's a, a kind of a, a characteristic from your country of origin that is quite strong mm-hmm. in you mm-hmm. and that there's mm-hmm. also a cultural impact because if you look societally in the people around you, that's also. And you're then you're getting a nice, colourful, proper yeah. understanding of yourself well if you're all about your diagnosis you have missed your family context you have missed your cultural context you've missed the the kind of the other influences and you have missed half the picture you really have yeah
1: i love that i love that i'm thinking about like the concentric rings isn't there like a a psychologist called like brahminsfeld or something do you know who i'm talking about and he had this this image of these concentric rings I'll, I'll have to look it up but oh, wow. it's the context that shapes you as an individual and there's multiple layers of context yes. and right
0: yeah. now we're all about the diagnosis and the framework and the mental health and back in the day like I've said a good few times but it's worth repeating as I always do you know a hundred years ago you and I would have been completely shaped in our understanding of ourselves by our Mm -hmm. our, you would have been shaped by your ethnicity i suppose egyptian or something and i would have been shaped by being irish and it would have been a major part and also it would have been i'm a catholic and you know what i mean it would these would have been very major parts of of my understanding of myself so we're just a moment in time right now it's all about this and it's it's missing so much i really do think if you want to widen your kids Understanding of themselves. Make sure you bring the the family tree. Make sure you get yeah. get a bit of understanding of your auntie is actually very like you or something like that. You know, what yeah. I mean? so that they understand. I think more, that's great. There's more going on than just what your yeah. your you're little square here. We hope you're enjoying this episode of our podcast. We work very hard to maintain high quality content for the show.
1: To take an even deeper dive and support the show, join our listener community for access to exclusive content practical tools and resources supporting gender and identity exploration. We're so grateful to our sponsor, Genspect, an international organization which offers an alternative to WPATH. Providing a range of education, resources, and supports to anyone impacted by gender distress, Genspect unites many different organizations globally and gives voice to thousands of previously untold stories. For more info, visit genspect.org.
0: And thank you to our sponsor, Rhyme. Rethink Identity Medicine Ethics is a nonprofit organization dedicated to improving long-term care for gender-variant individuals. Visit RethinkIME.org to learn more.
1: And now back to the conversation. And I, I also think, like, in addition to understanding the contributing factors to, like, how you are what you are or how you work, as you put it, it also helps, you know, in the context of if someone does have a diagnosis to ask yourself, okay, and then what? You know, yeah, yeah. I have this diagnosis And when I when I work with kids who are we're talking about diagnoses, because I'm not really anti or for diagnosis, I just think it matters how we frame it. I Mm -hmm. I really sometimes I encourage kids to pursue a diagnosis and sometimes I tell kids not to get too identified with it, depending on how they're interacting with the diagnosis. But, you know, I often say, you know, whether or not you have like a piece of paper, you obviously have recognized that you have this cluster of traits so if you have these traits, what things are hard for you? What things are easy for you? And what can we do to help you knowing yourself to do the things you care about and to do the things in your world that you want to do? And like, what supports do you need? What boundaries do you need to set? Like, what limitations are there? And I think, you know, not um, letting a diagnosis become a, uh, a reason you can't. I mean, of course, there are times when, you know, my cluster of traits means I can't do so and so things like you with your breakfast, right, or whatever. But I also think being able to own like some of our unique qualities, even if they're challenging, and still live, you know, still live, still participate, still kind of own it. Yeah. um, Yeah. I think that's really important. And I know that comes up sometimes in the context of like, um, you know, some of the neurodivergence movements and some of these contemporary movements, I don't agree with all of them. But what I do agree with is that, you know, we can't um, require people to fit into a very, very narrow set of traits in order to live functional lives, we have to give everyone the space to figure out like knowing my quirks and knowing my traits, how do I live a meaningful life? And I think if, if your child
0: is very absorbed or if you are very absorbed in your identity as your diagnosis or, you know, you've over, over identified, have become over reliant, Ooh. you could do worse than checking out. You know, remember the, uh, uh, the Myers-Briggs tests? Do you remember the personality yeah. tests? They were very good. You could do worse than checking out some of those type of things, filling in those extensive kind of um, what are they called? Questionnaires. And yeah. the Enneagram, you know, the Enneagram, the oh, personality, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They're really interesting. They'll give you all sorts back on yourself. You'll go, oh, that is me, oh, that is me. And you will find the same sense of recognition and acknowledgement of who you are as you will yeah. have found with your diagnosis. And you'll go, oh, there's more to me. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. That they're, they're, I think it's really important that we don't narrow ourselves into something because... Um, it doesn't help when we yeah. kind of make ourselves a kind of a more one dimensional than we are. We're very complex. And so you have to honour it yes. by bringing in all the different parts of you. I think it could really yes. help. I wanted I, I, and myself and Alistair had big, big projects that we still haven't done it about... Bringing in a, a kind of a personality test that brought in gender, brought in the Myers Briggs and very, mm, very ambitious. I
1: love that. Yeah!
0: <laughs> do you follow me? Yeah, like a 21st so century cool. kind of understanding of who you are. Because personality has moved to identity. Yes. Do, do you know what I mean? Oh, yes. And so now yes. what was my personality is now my identity. And that just happened without any of us really noticing it. It happened. Culturally, in the last t- yeah. t- 10 years ago, I just, if I had said I identify as, if I had said that sentence 15 years yeah. ago, I think yeah, it would have it sounded very not- clunky. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, it would have sounded really clumsy. Nobody would have really yeah. understood what you meant by that. Yeah. Um I, I did find it the the oh, yeah, kind good. of system I was referencing is called uh Bron Bronfren Braunfrenbrenner, Br- Brenner's ecological systems theory. And it starts in the middle with the individual and then there's a oh, microsystem oh, nice. bigger than that, then a mesosystem and an exosystem yeah. and a macrosystem. So it's it's kind of a theory of child development, but I really I mean I remember seeing that visual. I'm kind of visually oriented. So when I see a graphic like that. It really makes sense to me. We'll, we'll include something about it in the notes. But you know, all, all of this talk makes me think, well, there's two things I'd love to think through with you. I guess one is we've been cautioning so far about the possibility that we're over-diagnosing people or that people have become overly dependent on what their diagnosis means as a kind of single pathway out of their distress, which we, we think is mal- is not necessarily going to get you what you want. But I also wonder, I mean, do you agree that there is a kind of mental health crisis amongst adolescents? Oh. And, and how does that kind of relate oh. to this? Because I think there is, mm. but I also think it's been almost self-perpetuated by the obsession with mental health. Like I, it's, mm. it's like kind of iatrogenic in a way. Mm.
0: This is a massive question that I have agonized over because I know how awful adolescence was for so many people in times gone by i've read enough literature i know how lonely it has been it has been devastating i know how awful there's been so much secret child abuse there's been so much awful things happening so you kind of think on one level like we've all got richer and like our homes have all got better on one level we've made a massive step forward in our mental health it really does feel like just like we have in our health and our our you know, food and our, you know what I mean? But food is actually a very good analogy for this because Mm. while we made a huge step forward in our food and our diet, we also made a huge step backwards in our diet at the very same time, if you follow me, so that we've got this vast array of food available to us. And at the same time, we have the vast array of really unhealthy food available to us. And so we seem to have, you can sink into the bad stuff, and it feels like that. I kind of get into this. I know I'm talking about my book a lot and probably too much, but I get into this in one of the chapters. No, the go book. ahead. Yeah, I do. I go yeah. really into this. Fact. Are fact, are, are they having a mental health crisis or are we looking at it a hell of a lot more? Honestly, I'm with you, Sasha. I think it's, incredibly hard to be a teenager at the moment and I think you could pick different periods of time and you could say it was very hard to be a mother at that point it was very hard to be a man at that point maybe they were all going to war or whatever I think it's very hard to be a teenager at this point I think social media in particular technology, Mm -hmm. porn, all the pressures, all the likes and the, and the pylons and all that. I, I do th- and this kind of extraordinary emphasis on mental health, which isn't massively helpful. I do think it's really, really, really hard. And I also think as yeah. a society, just to be annoyingly complicated. <laughs> as a society, we've done something very good for mental health. We have. It's yeah. like food. We did something great and we brought in an awful lot of bad. Do you know what I mean? We did both. Am I make, am I as clear as mud here?
1: No, no. I, I think what you're saying is perfectly clear. I think the food analogy is interesting because I kind of, I've started thinking about that and looking at it in a slightly different way, which I think is going to be the the road we go towards with technology too. And I even remember kind of you talking about this, like um, from my years of like obsession with and research in like the fitness world and the you know bodybuilding world like i try not to label foods as good or bad the what the research shows like unequivocally across like tons and tons of nutrition research is like in moderate doses Any food can be part of a healthy diet that keeps your weight stable and keeps you generally functioning well, organs doing well, blood sugar doing well. And I think the same is probably also true with technology. Like social media is a technological invention that we have not had around very long. And whenever a new, exciting, especially like dopamine-stimulating technology comes into the picture, we all just get totally absorbed Mm -hmm. by it. And I remember you saying, like, there's probably going to be campaigns popping up, and I think we see this in our own world, where we're recognizing that social media has to be monitored in terms of when it's introduced how much time is spent and what type of social media interactions kids are having because that can have a negative impact on their health. And I think the same is probably true for like questions of identity and how fixated you get on your label. Like it's probably a dose response issue, like so many things (laughs) biologically, probably also psychologically. So, you know, and personality makes a difference too. Like you can have one kid come across some sort of, you know, quiz online, like here, diagnose yourself and figure out if you're trans and they might take it and get a result and laugh it off and never think about it again. But if you have that kind of personality trait where you get fixed and obsessed, that one cue can spiral you into a very dangerous place. And it could have been some other cue as well. So I think it's really interesting. We'll have to see what happens as we as a society on the macro scale recognize the impacts of these things recognize what does it mean to be an adolescent with this technology in your hand like Uh. it's going to be different than being a 40 year old right with this technology in your hand so i imagine we're gonna see a lot of changes but like right now if you're a parent of a kid or if you're a young person and i mean how many detransitioners do you see on twitter like they're in true agony over social media comments like real agony about it yeah. And I really feel for that and I it may be a personality thing or maybe an age thing but like I have never really been super distressed by what happens on social media. So it, it's it's so interesting and also sad to see how these kinds of platforms can really tremendously impact a person's well-being whereas for some of us like I don't even like I don't even take it seriously. Like I don't even take screens that seriously if if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know how to but it yeah. kind of inoculates me from actually being very concerned because what's happening in with my family, the people who love me and the people I work with, like that's for me for me it just does it feels more consequential. But if your world exists, you know, in these digital spaces I can imagine how hard it is! It's just really well, we, interesting.
0: Well, yeah. we we ourselves, our generation, um, we grew up without that kind of online smartphone. You know what I mean? So they, yeah, therefore we've got a step removed. We formed, we were yeah. formed without it. They are formed yeah. with it, and I, I do yeah. think that makes a difference. They, it's like their left arm. If you follow me, it, it's yeah. so much yeah. part of their identity. Me and my phone. If you follow me, it's it's so it's it's frightening, actually. I I really now now both my kids are teenagers. I'm I'm horrified how all four of us, because I'm as bad as them and Henry's as bad as them. We're all just phone addicts. And I'm like, we're going to have to do some sort of detox because we're all doing it. And, you know, we were having a conversation. We had somebody for dinner last night and somebody asked something. We didn't know the answer immediately. Grabbed the phone. I know. Somebody asked. Some, yeah. the conversation went back. We were polite, so we put away our phones after we found this non-event of an of a question. And then, uh, sorry, I'm rambling, ranting, but I have to say, no, it. no, no, that's and right. And then uh, some joke came up, and they said, "Oh, did you see that online? No, I didn't. Oh, wait, I'll just get it for you. Oh, uh, no, don't get it for me." <laughs> some yeah. picture and you just yeah. go oh yeah there's the picture oh yeah right funny yes uh, uh, yes we, we're just we're like and you can see there's a movement there's a new movement people have which is to get their phone and then they go oh away oh my god there really is yes it's a kind yes. of yes yeah it's frightening yes <laughs> it's a jitter that people have and it's kind of one to go for the phone and two a lot of us don't go for it. We go, we, we pull away. We know that it's we're in polite society. We need to stop grabbing our phone like, like, uh, like it's a drug. So it's I do, I do think that there's there's going to be studies that will show this. I do think that these teenagers, they do seem frantic. And I do think there's a concept called professional deformation, where you and I, Sasha, we're seeing the worst Mm. of it. We are seeing the worst. We are deformed by our professional life. So we see the worst of it. But what we see is so frightening and you don't meet any therapist who doesn't really agree with us. I I think every therapist thinks that does feel like there's a mental health crisis among the young people. They feel like they're, not enjoying their teenage years the way you would hope they would. I, I really don't think... They're, they're getting yeah. through them as opposed to enjoying them. Sad.
1: You're so right about that movement. That's really interesting. <laughs> like the the... Yeah. Like how you can't even complete a conversation or a thought without yeah. referencing something that happened digitally. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think that's a whole other conversation, but I do want to ask you about this, which I feel like we should do a whole episode about this and we can ask the audience if the following thing I'm about to say okay. should be a whole episode, please cool. let us know. Um, what about this whole movement of young people online on like TikTok and various platforms claiming to have dissociative identity disorders and multiple personalities i mean that is to me like the exemplar of what we're talking about of like how a diagnosis can take on a life of its own and totally absorb young people and then how but like almost like belief in the diagnosis can bring forth the traits even more palpably like this is kind of what You know, psychosomatic illnesses are in a way and psychogenic illness so what do you think of that?
0: Oh I think I think you're right and I think this dissociative identity disorder well we would be dissociated from our identity you know what I mean I think people are very dissociated from their identity so it makes sense that the identities that have let's say you know the tics the nervous tics that I was kind of just showing you with the grabbing the phone yeah that that those ticks kind of become mm-hmm. more common they make sense just like the dissociation from yourself because so many people have avatars yeah. they have other identities online they have very elaborate identities online so i can see why you'd lose your sense of self um and i i think then you live in a world where everything is pathologized i can see how it combines into this this kind of scenario where you're, you're you're being diagnosed by your online life or your online life is diagnosing you. I'm not sure where this is going to go, though. You know, I'm not sure how this is going to... Where are we going to go? Is there going to be a pushback? Will people just kind of push back from being online all the time? And will that be the kind of result? Or Because I was just having a conversation mm-hmm. with somebody today in a cafe and there was uh, music coming from the guy across there because he was listening to something. So he was listening to some TV programme or whatever the hell he was on. I'm like something out mm, like the 1950s, mm-hmm. a TV programme, but a yeah. <laughs> Then there was people <laughs> to the right who was listening to music. And I was like, there's music on the cafe. There's your mm. woman to the right, your man to the left, and we're trying to have a conversation. And it's awful. And she was saying, yeah, I'd say in the future we'll all be walking around with our, with our kind of pods and... <laughs> Nobody will hear anybody. And I was like, we're getting more and more fragmented and more and more kind of atomized into me and my online life. And that—that that is all I am. You know what I mean? It's frightening. It's so lonely. It's so lonely for these people. I really do think it's so bad. God.
1: are you, Are you saying though <laughs> that like being immersed in this cacophony of sounds and discordant noises, like are you saying that People were better at tolerating that in the past? Or, or are you saying that that's, that all these different, like everybody has some kind of, electronic stimulation that's separate we're all in the same room but we're all doing our own individual things yeah. with our electronics that's it what used you mean.
0: to be yeah it used to be we were yeah. all listening to the one song that came on the radio because we were in a cafe together we were having, ca- yes. having a communal yes. experience yes. yes and sometimes what would often happen in a cafe is the staff would say something funny to the other person we'd all hear it and smile and there'd be a communal moment or a nice song yeah. and you'd look up and you'd catch somebody's eye because the lovely song has come on and you'd look back down into yes. your experience. And that's all gone. Not only has that all gone, but it's gone into an irritating way of he's got annoying tinny music over there and it's his taste and it's not mine. And I can't hear it properly anyway. And she's having a conversation yeah. and, it's in, and it's atomized and it's, it's really individualistic. Yeah. So it's, there's this, the, it's actually the antithesis of the communal cafe experience, which I used to love and it's actually, yes, it's, it's 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 we're fighting with each other for our sounds. If you follow me,
1: and and that desire to be part of a larger cohesive unit, yeah keeps popping up in these micro communities online in these diagnostic obsessed yeah. kind of online worlds. Like with the need to be part of like, Oh, did you see that? Oh, that was fine. Yeah. Like the need for that doesn't go away, but it no. keeps getting kind of channeled into different ways online. and into ways that are online and ways that are so specific and so particular. You know, it's like these affinity groups at schools, like you are going to be amongst people for whom like the the tying, the unifying strand is like your identity, or your belief in this political view, or your desire to do this or that thing. Whereas in other times, our sense of identity came from just like kind of our local environment. And your local environment, by definition, is mixed with all kinds of different people. And you're going to meet people you don't necessarily have the exact same kind of life as but you all live on 43rd Street, and you go to this cafe on Saturdays, like that sense of community is being transferred into like, Oh, what's your identity label? Oh, you too, me too. And we're going to find all the ways that we're so identical. Like it's so it's a different way of feeling connected.
0: And a negative way, because, my, you know, look it up because it's a lovely song is, is joyful or smiling because the, you know, the, the, the manager yeah. is saying something funny to the, the other staff manager. It's it's it, There's lots of different ways. Well, the, the way it has gone online has gone into um, we will meet over distress. We will connect over distress. That's how we're going to connect. And we're not going to connect over the the more joyful. The only joy we're going to get is in the connection over distress. That's that's where we get our joy. It's 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 fundamentally negative and it's it's rampant, like way back in the day when, you know, when social media was first beginning. And do you remember those pro anacytes and pro Mia sites and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. That yeah. was the canary in the coal mine of where this is going to go. People finding each other, communities finding each other. And previous to that, like in the nineteen nineties, a lot, an awful lot of um a completely different context, but an awful lot of child abuse have found each other online. And I I hadn't known that, but I um, kind of basically child abuse tourism grew from that because they started oh swap yeah, they started swapping information about go to this country and you know what I mean? So that there the all sorts of things grew from those online connections and right from the beginning i would argue a lot of them were negative they were they weren't positive they were and now why that is I, i'm not quite sure other than if you're going online way back then looking for a community you probably didn't have one where you were if you follow me and of course there's always and i'm among them unusual people who don't find a community very easily but you still have to keep a connection with the ordinary cafe community. Do you know what I mean? That's because right. it, it brings right. a lightness to your life. Somebody smiling at you, you know, because you, you, your eyes meet because the kid is cute. Do you know what I mean? You, you need yes, that. Yes, totally,
1: totally. And
0: that's where, yeah. that's where the identities and the pathologies and the diagnoses, they're missing all of that. They're missing all of that color and context of life.
1: Yeah. And I think, again, like, in the right dose, and in the right context, like, if you have some sort of group you connect with, because of this particular thing about you, but you also have a rich connection with other types of people and other types of contexts. I think that's probably fine. I think when something becomes the exclusive and only way that you find community, that's always a risk. And I think that's also a risk of radicalization, you know, like, Getting indoctrinated or going too far down a rabbit hole that happens when you only have one singular avenue for connection. Like it just dawned on me that,
0: yeah, that's, that's kind a of a point.
1: characteristic of like extremist groups. Like you yeah. kind of start rejecting anybody who's not part of that. And I think that same thing can happen in a diagnostic label or any kind of special interest that an individual has. If it's the only way, you wow. risk kind of getting blinded, I guess, to a degree.
0: That's such a good point. I remember, you know, when I was growing up, and, like, there was an awful lot of Irish nationalism, an awful lot of fighting around politics, Mm. and there was a certain Mm -hmm. type of person who was very pro-Ireland, and they would come out with these slogans. They were so one-dimensional, and, you know, they'd have their songs and their slogans, and it was just, that was what they were they had completely built their identity around that kind of personality yeah yeah. so uh, and i remember it's 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 a zealot it's a zealot but there's lots of ways to be a zealot and that's that's what it is now i do want to go back to before we finish on on this i do want to talk a little bit about you know these diagnoses you know the way they that they have they've slipped in lots of different ways so it's not just um ADHD or autism or anxiety although the, and depression that have all slipped into a much wider... You would not have got those diagnoses 30 years mm. ago. Now, some mm-hmm. people would say they were too narrow and too many people were being missed mm-hmm. 30 years ago. And now perhaps they're too wide. But arguably they're doing the same with... Because I, I was studying it. I, I studied it from for my new book. That like, you know, things like osteoporosis among older women... You oh, know. Yeah that's a really common one or being pre-diabetic when low, we're all pre-diabetic or the new one for myself no menopausal no perimenopausal, perimenopausal. No, not, you only have to yawn or you have to just say oh i'm feeling a bit anxious. perimenopausal <laughs> i'm
1: not perimenopausal
0: yeah. I'm, I'm slightly
1: hassled
0: well, maybe, it's I basically am, like, maybe I am.
1: I am perimenopausal. The entire the 55 years before you are perimenopausal. Between, between puberty and menopause, that whole so 47. I was bringing it
0: up. I was bringing a big roll, roll up to my perimenopausal, and you jumped in. Perimenopausal!
1: I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no. but that's how our age group it's it's because I have ADHD I interrupted you that's why Uh, (laughs) no but it's exactly
0: reflective it's so reflective of every time you turn around somebody somewhere if you said I'm a bit worried about my mother you know she's sick I shouldn't laugh but she's sick or something they'll say yeah you you might be perimenopausal sorry (laughs) what's (laughs) I got to do (laughs) it's like so random It's not exactly a conversation I had, but it's similar to a conversation I had recently, <laughs> and I was like, "No, no, no! This is a, just a, a worry that is absolute has substance that I'm worried yeah. about." And I'm yes. not like maybe I am. I've no idea if I yes. am or not. And it's not. And I'm sure because I've met somebody, and you know, she was told she was very very menopausal, and it was an amazing framework for her to understand. But there's something about the chip, chip, chip of everybody else like other people who are getting yeah, the yeah, the yeah, false yeah. diagnosis. there's something about that that is very detrimental to society on a bigger you know and the people who say no it's good are missing i would argue the chip 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 of 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 all the false diagnoses that's been thrown around I, I really, I really, I do think it's an issue, and I think if you look at the way, I think a reflection of how badly we're doing mental health, and I, I do think we're doing it really badly, even though we're trying. You know, if there was a God, He'd give us top marks for trying, but our performance, <laughs> our <effort>. performance <laughs> yeah, 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 our our, our actual <laughs> action isn't great. When we look at, and this is a very serious subject, but I think it's really important to bring it up. When we look at how we've handled t- suicide you can see how badly we've done it. So like years ago, suicide was very taboo and the numbers were low, but they were being miscounted because there was a lot of people dying and people weren't admitting it because it was taboo. So that was certainly Mm -hmm. happening. But nowadays, Mm -hmm. and it's come within me being a child and my children being a child, this has happened. Nowadays, it's become Mm -hmm. so much the opposite of taboo that children these days are throwing the word suicide around in a very cavalier fashion. And it is a really, really, really bad impact on everything. Because the kid is a kid who has a, a, a child's understanding of the word and of the impact. Everybody else is an adult, whether it's the teacher, the counsellor or, t- or the parent.
1: Yeah. And yeah. they
0: can't take it lightly even if it's being said lightly they can't take it lightly there's protocols around that word and so all sorts of protocols get rolled in i remember you know one kid coming to me and she said you know uh, uh, like now that you have all drilled me about this word for 72 hours i now realize i was using it lightly however like honestly we all are we're all doing it, yeah. and you ye guys yeah. are all taking it too seriously. And I'm like, yeah, well, then society's gone wrong because yeah. we, we're using... They have been taught, it's at the back of their toilet doors, it's when they're washing their hands, mm-hmm. it's when they're walking down the school corridor. Do you follow me? Suicide, <sighs> yeah. suicide, suicide, suicide. And it's gone into their language. It's gone into their language yeah. of distress. And they haven't learned that, no, no... That is a word you don't bring up lightly. And if you bring it up, it's you've thrown something onto the table like a concrete block that will now everybody has to look at. And I don't want people to be afraid of saying it. I don't want it to be taboo, but it's reflective of the really bad way we're managing mental health. That kids are throwing that word out so lightly and parents are just about it. They're so upset about it.
1: Yeah. You know, we did another episode on suicide. And I think most of that was about trying to clarify the misinformation around gender and suicide. But I think you're so right, because I hear this a lot where like, a kid in the pangs of their distress will just say something about suicide. And then all of a sudden, everybody goes into crisis action mode, and they're like rushed off to the hospital and the kid didn't really intend for it to be that big of a deal. Like I think this is—you're so right that there's something about this. I'd love to talk about this further. This is really important. Maybe we can do that on another episode because yeah, this is this is like a real kind of phenomenon amongst young people. The, the that society has with taught suicide them. in a way that is uh, Yes, yeah. that society has
0: taught them. and in, in yeah. fairness because because I find an awful lot of adults are saying. They don't realize they're devastating me with this, and the kind of the parents are often looking quite angrily at the child for kind of throwing this out like confetti. And I'm like, yeah. in fairness, those kids are reflective of their environment; they're all doing it. Therefore, it's not just your kid. They're not being manipulative. They have learned this language, and they have learned this way yeah, of communicating. Completely. They have learned to understand their distress as suicidal they've learned they've yeah. learned that framework it's a framework they've learned they've learned to, to understand their worries as anxiety yes. they've learned to understand their sadness as depression and they've learned to understand their, their despair, which is part of the human condition. We can, we can fall into despair because life it can be very hard. And you can have six hours of despair or you can have, you know, an hour of utter despair. And then you can go, I need yeah. to have a wash. I need to have a shower. I need to get myself together.
1: Mm-hmm. You, you mm-hmm.
0: know, and that's not suicidal. It's, it's despair, which is a terrible place to be. And also you can move beyond it. We haven't, we haven't given them yeah. the correct language, I think. I think we've yeah. given them
1: yeah, diagnosis right.
0: language or something.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great example of how clinical labels, clinical language, when not used very, very carefully, can take on this other meaning in the, the life of a young person, the mind of a young person that is not actually appropriate and it's not the right framework to help them understand their distress. Yeah. Um, before we wrap up, I do want to kind of put a... Put an idea out there to the listeners. So we have this Patreon listener community that we are really um, proud of, and we're also making a lot of updates and changes too. And right now we get a lot of great listener questions. If you join at the Q&A tier, you can submit questions and we answer them once a week. And a lot of our questions have to do with stuff that's going on with kids, struggling with gender, um, and a lot of them are from parents. But we have a good number of mental health professionals who are also part of the listener community. And so if you are a school counselor, a therapist, a psychologist or if you're like a school personnel, a dean of a school, a teacher, please consider joining our listener community and submitting some questions because we know that there are a lot of different people and types of professionals who are encountering these kinds of questions in their work, and we'd love to address some of those. So if you want to, please go to widerlenspod.com, that's our website, and go to our listener community page and consider joining so that we can engage with you there and um also take some of your questions
0: and can i add to that i really feel with gender you know it's gone through different phases you know for me you know two years ago was the phase of the parents and the parents voice and it got lifted and then there was the voice of the detransitioners and the detransitioners voices got lifted now i feel education i think education this is the year for education what's going on in the schools how are we handling You know, mental distress, gender distress, all sorts of things in the schools. It feels like this is the year for education. I think an awful lot of teachers are really, really in the trenches with this. And they're not they're finding it difficult. Genspect released this amazing educational policy for the U.S. It's a sample policy that lots of different schools. Oh, my God. It's a very serious document. It's it's very well referenced. It's very it's very scholarly. And it's it's we'll comprehensive. It in the show notes. yeah, it's, it's really, really good. Yeah. And I really think the teachers who have been till now rudderless and without a guide and without direction and frightened. I think now is the year. This is the year. And I'd love us to kind of grapple with this on this podcast, because I think it's really important.
1: Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, I think that's a good place for us to sign off, and we um look forward to seeing you all next time. And we hope you will attend the detransition awareness day conferences and events that are happening all across the intraweb's. (laughs) Yeah, they'll be over the next few weeks. You'll see them everywhere. Okay, bye. Yeah, yeah. All right, bye. Bye, bye, bye. Thanks for joining us this week on Gender: A Wider Lens. Listener support means a lot to us. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe on iTunes and leave a review.
0: For more information, visit widerlenspod.com. There you'll learn about joining our listener community, how to contribute to our show, and where to find us on social media.
1: Our discussions are for educational purposes and are not intended as a substitute for mental health services.